Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, this, these are some tricky, tricky, tricky readings today. And so uh, the first uh, thing, I just want to, if you have questions about any of the readings, feel free to email us at info at G. But what I do hope is that the gospel then will begin to shed light on the Old Testament and you begin to understand what is going on in the Old Testament. Uh, that God is not about to um, share a promise with anyone or anything. You know, uh, nothing can compete with that promise. And if you want a good commentary on that particular passage, read St. Paul's commentary on this in Galatians chapter 4. And then uh, the Romans passage. I think it's always important to do Romans. Um, and uh, I was going to go through a series on the book of Romans over the summer, but the gospel was so hot that I thought we should touch on that. But uh, the book of Romans, you know, should we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. Oftentimes that's preached as if so, now try harder, you know. Uh, but that's not St. Paul's argument at all here, is it? His argument is that you're dead. You know, that's, you can't sin anymore because you are dead. And so he goes on throughout chapter 6 to explain what that means. But the truth of the matter is, is that you have been in baptism united to Jesus. The reformers actually used to say, uh, talk about the New Testament, not the New Covenant, as been translated in the 79 prayer book, because the Testament was an inheritance. And so because you had been united to Christ, you had inherited already, and this is Paul's point, all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his righteousness, all of his love right now. And so, shall we continue to sin? Well, by no means, because you're dead. You died in the waters of baptism. The truth is, your old self's a strong swimmer. But we need to hear the gospel and remember that the old Adam, the old Eve, was buried there. And now you have been united to something new, something righteous. And that's what defines you. And really, this is what Jesus is getting at in a profound way. What defines you? You know, what defines you? Where, where are your identities found? This reading from the Gospel of Matthew is one that really sits hard on the ears, yet it speaks profoundly to the cultural moment we find ourselves in. Do not think that I've come to bring peace, Jesus says. I've come to bring a sword. Whoa. That statement just seems so un-Jesus, doesn't it? However, what Jesus is doing here, what he's doing here is literally articulating the real cost of peace. I think it can say that all of us, hopefully, maybe there's a few of you psychopaths who've turned in, but I think that all of us would say that we want peace. We want peace in our world. We want peace in our cities. We want peace in our families. We want peace in our nation. However, the issue is, is that we always want peace on our terms. If I can just throw up enough tweets and demonstrate how virtuous I am, if I can just demonstrate how much I'm actually needed, if I can just speak to those other really bad people and get other folks on my side, 
And then they'll see my point of view, because I'm always the right one. Then we'll have some peace. There's different ways we seek peace. You know, I tend to seek peace through avoidance. I mean, who here hasn't spoken or not spoken to a friend or a former family member because you'd rather just ignore the big old elephant in the room than really get at it? We seek peace through our accomplishments and our wealth. If we can just get that recognition that we've always longed for, then I'll have some peace. We seek peace through self-medication. This parish and the Ministry of Alcoholics Anonymous has been deeply involved in debunking that myth. But this is my first point. We seek by ourselves and for ourselves peace. We want it, but we want it on our own terms. When the truth is, is that on our own terms, there's no peace. And why is that? Because on our own terms, we are profoundly sinful and greedy. We want it our way. And the fact is, is that the horizon for that kind of satisfaction is always and constantly moving and eluding us. We hope we would bring peace to the world. We've tried, but we always fail to live up to our own expectations and the expectations of others. We fail to realize that we can't live up to that great demand, which we all know will ultimately save us. And I'd love to be able to sit up here in this pulpit and give you a recipe for peace, you know. I've got three uh, points to make to give you peace, and they all begin with a P. I wish I could do that, but, you know, maybe we might all get along if you do it my way. But the thing is, is that, um, you know, as Americans, as sinners... Sometimes the only thing we can do is recognize that we're actually profoundly part of the problem. That great AA saying, I looked, I looked, I I woke up this morning and I saw the enemy and then I shaved him, you know? We are part of the problem. And so sometimes the only thing to do is confess that. And then that becomes the enabling agent to shut up and maybe not post something on Facebook. Maybe pray for forgiveness. Maybe plead the blood of Jesus over the entire situation. Let go. You see, it's in that petition, God have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I've really screwed it up and I'm a part of the problem. It's in that petition then that we can begin to understand what Jesus is talking about in our gospel reading. In Jesus' day, you see, um, and still in the Middle East and in a lot of cultures, the familial, the familial relationship is absolutely, positively everything. This is where one finds their peace. The stability that comes from a son loving the father. The stability that comes from a mother loving a daughter. And a mother-in-law taking on a daughter-in-law as a daughter. The idea that one's foe, as Jesus teaches here, one's foe would come from the household was extremely offensive. Because a solid household, your lineage, your heritage, your culture, your identity, that was your peace. 
now you begin to see how Jesus is prophetically speaking right now to 21st century America. He makes the point here that even our own identities must ultimately die. I'm a progressive Christian. I'm a conservative Christian. All of that stuff that we tag on to, I'm a Christian plus, that must die. For when Christ has claimed you and has given you his name and his identity, a beloved child of God, he shares that identity with nothing else. And this, this is hard for us to recognize, especially as Americans. We love to attach something to Christianity. But Jesus will share that identity with nothing and no one else. And this is hard for us to recognize because so much of who we are is wrapped up in these other things. And part of the work of the Spirit is to shed us of these false identities, to shed us of these false idols, so that we might take up our crosses instead. However, I mean, that illustration that Jesus says there, if anyone would choose to follow me, let him take up his cross. Well, that is crazy talk. And everybody listening to that would have known it is crazy talk. No one in their right mind would choose to do that. I've heard it preached. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow Jesus is not worthy of Jesus. As if to take up our cross is some sort of noble choice that we're actually capable of. Because to everyone hearing this, I mean, could you imagine living in your town and you come home and the Romans have showed up and have crucified every man in your town along the streets? And you watched them die? You knew how painful, how terrible that death was? Have that perspective, not the jewelry perspective, but the uh, demonstration that you're going to die. Have that in your mind when you hear that. Jesus, they would have thought Jesus was out of his mind when they heard that. But this is what it means. This is the call to give up your additional identity. Whatever it is. They. No one ever thought, take up the cross, gosh. That sounds like he's talking about me. I think I'll give that the old Harvard try, see if it works out, you know. This is no choice. The cross... It's not a little inconvenience in your life that we push through on. No. What Jesus is actually saying here is the key and the heart to really understanding the Christian faith and how crazy it is. Jesus is telling his disciples and all who would follow him is that in order to have real peace, everything we are, And everything we have in this life must be nailed to the cross with Christ, including those identities we so cling to. Even the righteous and virtuous ones must be nailed to the cross. See, to follow Jesus is to die. To take up one's cross 
means we must literally become nothing. Not as a means to an end, but nothing. So that Christ might be everything. Christ, he must stand above and in the breach between all things. Because Christ on the cross is the world's only peace. Christ on the cross is the world's only healing. Christ on the cross is the world's only reconciliation. Not only ourselves, but our neighbors and our families, but most importantly, between us and God. That's the serious breach. And Christ then on the cross becomes our courage as our crosses are flung on our backs, following him to finally discovering who we truly are and what it really means to be a beloved child of God. And this is my second point. Christ, what this passage is telling us is that Christ must be and is at the center. Not high on the list of priorities. You may have heard it preached, Jesus, family, work. Nope. It is Christ and his cross alone. He must be all things. As St. John the Baptist, of whose uh, feast day we're approaching, says, I must decrease so that he might increase. Christ must get between father and son. Christ must get between mother and daughter. Christ must get between black and white. Christ must get between Jew and Greek. Christ must get between each and every one of us so that he might bind us together in his lasting peace. For to lose your life in the world for the sake of Christ, to die with him and to be united with him, as St. Paul says, is to actually find Jesus, the one real life, who is life. This is no cheap life. This is no cheap peace. This is no cheap grace that Jesus is speaking of here. For it comes by way of the gospel only. It comes by way of the God who knows that you and I want peace, the God that knows that you and I want life, the God that knows that we want to be healed. And yet, as we continue to demonstrate over and over and over again, on our own, we have no idea where to truly find it. As a matter of fact, we'll look everywhere but him. Yet real life and peace comes by the way of the God who still loves us anyway. The God who loves us always first. The God who loves us so much that even the number of hairs on your head 
are counted. The God who loves us first. Remember that. Remember that as we are given the peace of God in this life. Remember that. The God who loves you first as you shed all those extra identities and take up your crosses in this life. Jesus first. Luther once, when preaching at the funeral of Prince Frederick the Elector, said, this death is the easy one. It was all the little ones, all the crosses that Frederick had to take in between that were hard. These, as we move to the big death, these are the hard ones. But remember Jesus, he comes first. His cross, then your cross. His death comes first, then your death. It was for the sake of our sin and our salvation that he came under the law and that he refused the easy piece of compromise with this world. And this is my third point. It was for our sake that Jesus was divided from his father on the cross, which caused Jesus to experience the God-forsakenness of our humanity, the darkness of God's wrath, the suffering of our own sin. Jesus took up his cross to lead humanity through death, ultimately into everlasting life. We're gathered around the throne. There is a lamb. And around that throne are people of many tongues, many tribes, and many nations singing. Not salvation belongs to our God and the great new identity I found. But salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne. The cross, that's the only way. It's the only way for a sinner to live before God, to have real peace with God. So to take up our cross and follow Jesus in the way that he goes, namely through death to eternal life, that's tough. That's tough business in this age. It's supernatural, actually. Here at Calvary St. George's, it's happening. And we're following our Lord through our many deaths. Through our many deaths, taking up our cross to our final death, where we will be raised and see him face to face and finally hear him clearly say to us, Peace be with you. However, for now, in the midst of all of the unrest in the world, we hear him say, peace be with you, by words of a sermon. And in the moment, in words of absolution. Christ first, peace be with you. Take up your cross and follow him. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. Produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.